child with autism sees the world in a different way to us. They're not broken, they don't need fixed. It's for the rest of us to be able to have an understanding of children with autism. That was Scottish Education Secretary Shirley Ann Somerville, and we'll be discussing more about that topic later in the show. Hello and welcome to The Stooshie, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip and on this episode I'll be joined by Callum Ross and Nicola Sinclair to examine and explain the week in Scottish politics. But first, a summary of the week's biggest national and international politics stories, read by Alex Watson. The Mayor of London paid tribute to members of the emergency services who ran towards danger as he marked the fifth anniversary of the London Bridge and Borough Market terror attack. Sadiq Khan said the city's residents will always stand united in the face of terrorism, as he remembered the victims of the atrocity on June the 3rd, 2017. Nicola Sturgeon is being told to keep the monarchy if she wants to win an independence referendum. Polling expert Professor Sir John Curtis said if the SNP want to win a future independence referendum, the party needs to commit to the monarchy, because more are in favour of the Queen. And the Sydney Harbour Bridge in Australia was illuminated in purple to mark the Platinum Jubilee, days after the appointment of the country's first minister tasked with overseeing a transition to a republic. Matt Thistlethwaite was sworn in by the newly elected Labour government as Assistant Minister for the Republic on the eve of the Jubilee and said the occasion gave Australians food for thought about the country's future. Thanks, Alex. Regular readers of our titles will have seen a series our education colleagues have been pursuing over the past few weeks. They took a close look at the massive obstacles facing families trying to get autistic children into the education system. It's really lifted the lid on a deep problem, it seems, and it's led to a lot of concerns from families being put directly to the education secretary. More of which later. But we're joined today by Nicola Sinclair, one of the reporters at the heart of this investigation. Welcome to the Stushi, Nicola. Can you tell us what prompted this series? What prompted it was it really felt like these were stories that needed to be told. Um, I had dipped my toe into the subject of autism and education before. And what I found after writing that article was an online community of parents who were all united by really common challenges. They were united online sharing information, sharing advice, resources and trying to support each other. Many of them were campaigners in their own right, trying to secure an education for their children who had autism. What I found was when I put out a call for more people to talk to, I was inundated by emails and phone calls and private messages on social media, all from parents across the Highlands, across Murray, Aberdeen City, Aberdeenshire. And what emerged very quickly was was sort of key themes and key challenges that they all faced. So it really felt like these were stories that needed to be told. And I started to ask myself if we could shine a light on these and help them to hold power to account. You've spoken to a lot of families in the course of this work. Um, These are people fighting for basic rights, it seems. So what did you learn from speaking to people at the sharp end? Well, what was really surprising was how many stories actually had very similar and overlapping themes. They were all really troubling stories that were told to me. In the Highlands, I spoke to a woman who worked as a social worker, but had to actually give up her career in order to look after her two autistic sons, neither of whom have been able to attend mainstream education. And this young woman accused a Highland Council of discriminating against her children. I also spoke to a young mother whose kids were placed on the child protection register after she refused to send her autistic son to mainstream school. 
Down in Murray, I spoke to a family who had to take their counsel to an educational tribunal to secure a place in a special school. There are no special schools in Murray and she took Highland Council to tribunal to get her daughter a space in a special school in Inverness. She's thriving in that school, but the family have to travel four hours every day just to get that child into school. Then in Aberdeenshire, I spoke to a woman who's autistic and has an autistic son. When she was widowed, she decided that she wanted to make sure that other families didn't have to battle to get the support in place for their children. And she set up her own autism consultancy to try to deliver that for other parents. And lastly, I spoke to a woman who spent thousands of pounds on private consultants just to secure an autism diagnosis and to get the support that her child needs. What really struck me about all of these is in many cases, these families are at breaking point. They say they've been made vulnerable by the lack of support services, but none of them want to be seen as victims. They have unique children, they have wonderful lives, and their campaigners are very, very strong. And all they're asking for is what is their educational entitlement enshrined in law. It's tempting to, to characterise these things as people falling through sort of cracks in the system, but the volume of cases that you're hearing, it sounds you know, considerably more than just a crack. There's something fundamental that needs to, to be changed across this. Yes, I think that's something that was very clear. When I initially put out a message on social media asking for stories, there were dozens and dozens of dozens of stories within a few days. And since this series launched, I've been inundated by messages. When I spoke to Govan Law Centre in Glasgow, they told me that they've dealt with dozens of families in the North East, but hundreds across Scotland, who have gone to the last resort of taking their counsel to tribunal to get a support package in place for their autistic children. So it seems as if it's something that's broken at a national level and something really needs to be done to change it. You just mentioned the Govan Law Centre there. Um, I saw from your, from your work, there was mentioned that a lot of people have had success through them, but a lot of people also didn't know that that kind of help or service was available. Uh, how, how are they um, promoting that kind of work more? Yeah, so Govan Law Centre has an education support unit that's funded by the Scottish Government and their whole raison d'etre is to help these families. They see a tribunal as the last resort, so really what it should be is that families can access the services of Govan Law Centre free of charge and they'll provide that that service where they, they will, they'll talk to the families and talk to the councils and try to be a mediator and find some kind of solution. But in the worst case scenario, it does end in tribunal, which is a very stressful experience. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, though, Govan Law Centre told me that they win the overwhelming majority of their cases. And many of the families I spoke to actually said that the council on the eve of the hearing agreed to put the support in place. Mm -hmm. So it, it seems as if it's very, very successful, but it, it's a, a sort of tortuous journey that shouldn't have to be taken. Yeah, it does sound um, traumatic to go right up to the 11th hour on things like this when it's to do with family education and, and family life. I mean, out of all of these interactions, you, you've clearly built up a big picture of, of how the system is working or otherwise. And you secured a chat with Scottish Education Secretary uh, Shirley Ann Somerville a couple of days ago, the full version of, of which will be published as part of your series on June the 5th on the Press and Journal website. Bef before we hear what she had to say, you tell us, tell us um, how you approached it. What did you want to hear from her? What I really wanted to get from the Minister was some answers for these parents. I was very keen that the series didn't just highlight the problems, but also tried to help them to, to get some answers and, and work towards a solution. So I asked the parents and the families that I spoke to what they would like to ask the Minister. And the kinds of questions that they wanted me to put to her was, you have a policy of mainstream education, but is mainstream the right place for children with complex additional support needs? Or do we need more special schools? 
are coordinated support plans delivering what the families and children need? And will the Scottish Government provide more funding to make sure that local authorities can keep up with rising demand? They described a postcode lottery, so I asked her if service provision was consistent across Scotland. And I asked her fundamentally if the Scottish Government would intervene if they felt the councils weren't delivering on the policies set at a national level. And finally, I asked her about rising demand for mental health services, whether they could do more to make sure that children didn't have to get a diagnosis to be able to access support and if attitudes need to change towards autistic children. So there has been additional investment um, which has gone into child and adolescent mental health services, um, particularly um, uh, as part of our COVID recovery work. Uh, But it is very important to again stress that there is no need for a diagnosis for a young person to be able to to access um, support. Um, And for, I would encourage any uh, family who has a a concern that they're not being supported to perhaps look at some of those um, organisations which are funded by the Scottish Government, such as Inquire or many of the charities that are out there, to ensure that uh, they know their rights and um, that they can um, be supported while supporting their their child or young person um, with with um, the whatever queries or um, demands that they may have of the education and of other services. It is very, very uh, critical at this time that parents do know that there is no need for a diagnosis uh, to be able to to receive um, support um, and they don't need to um, have that to be able to to access that support um, from um, parts of uh, the public uh, sector, whether that's local authority or otherwise, um, and they need to be reassured uh, that their uh, concerns their questions, any anxieties they have, and indeed any support that they have is being treated um, with the respect that it should be treated with, um, as they have, I'm sure, many questions, um, many points that they'll want to raise with the school, with different services, and they don't need a diagnosis for any of that. I think that we need to be able to support all children and young people in Scotland and their families We have, over generations, uh, developed our understanding and um, our um, appreciation of the challenges that families face um, at a government level, local government level, within charities. Uh, They should be there to be able to provide um, support. Autism is is something in which, yes, uh, children may need additional support for, But the important thing to recognise is that a child with autism sees the world in a different way to us. They're not broken. They don't need fixed. Um, They may need support, um, but it's it's for the rest of us to be able to have an understanding of children with autism um, rather than the children with autism being uh, suggested that they in any way need uh, to change. They don't. It's society uh, that does It's our understanding um, of autism uh, that needs to develop. I think it has. Uh, We perhaps still have some way to go in a society uh, with that, but that's certainly something um, which um, I'm very supportive of uh, families with autistic children or indeed um, um, autistic um, adults uh, to be able to listen to uh, their needs 
um, and what they think government should be providing for them um, and government should respond to that. That was Shirley Ann Somerville there, uh, the Education Secretary in the Scottish Government. Listening to that, there, were, there was strong observations about uh, adapting to children's needs rather than forcing them to, to bend to a rigid system. So, Nicola, are there, are there signs that the government is living up to the to the words that we just heard? I wouldn't, if I'm honest, say that I was overly reassured that the Scottish government was going to take decisive action. I, I think the minister acknowledged and understood the challenges that families face, and she certainly showed sympathy and, and, and expressed a willingness to try to improve things. She did say that they have a working group in place and that they're reporting in the autumn, so we can hope that some firm action will be taken then. But throughout the interview, it was very clear that the Scottish Government wanted to send a message that this is a responsibility of local authorities. Um, she didn't say that she would that the Scottish Government would intervene if local authorities weren't delivering on their policies. So I think that it was a very cautious response and crucially she didn't commit to putting any more resources into the system despite the Scottish government's working group saying that it may be a case that more money is required to meet rising demand so I felt that there was an awareness of the issues but a lot of um, passing the buck back to councils which I, I think the families will be frustrated by. Yeah Nicola Sturgeon has obviously previously said education is a defining mission and that education clearly is it goes a lot further than beyond what what was described as mainstream schooling and there's a lot of lot of families out there still waiting for uh, help in all all areas of the education system um what what did uh, what impression were you left with then about the next steps do you think that the scottish government will take on board, board what what you're reporting the families um, actual concerns themselves I know that the Scottish Government is looking to take action to remove the barriers on coordinated support plans. So those are the legal documents that set out what support a child needs in school. And they have recognised that there's massive problems with CSPs. So I was quite reassured that they were looking at it. Um, I think that they will look to simplify the legislation and put training in place in councils. But whether the councils are able to deliver without more funding at the sharp end is the, is the bigger question, I think. Well, that's a neat segue to talk about funding for councils um, as we look to the rest of our week in politics. But for now, uh, Nicola, thanks very much for joining us on The Stushy. The political timetable was upended a bit in the past week due to the Platinum Jubilee, uh, which you, you might have heard about. Um, that hasn't stopped our politicians knocking lumps out of each other as usual, of course. We had a dose of fiscal reality from Finance Secretary Kate Forbes on Tuesday, where any thoughts of boom times to come were quickly evaporated. Um, and as we just heard from the, the whole section on education there, local government getting more and more pressure with less and less cash. Callum Ross was keeping an ear to that and, and heard some pretty frightening predictions of cuts to come. Callum, bring us up to speed with the, the harsh truth, please. What, what are we facing here? That's right, Andy. I mean, Kate Forbes set out her, her spending review uh, on Tuesday, as you said, uh, which uh, is to take us up to kind of 2026, 27, well, it's not a budget, but it's a, a, a kind of, you know, kind of broader uh, look ahead at, at what's likely to happen. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, difficult decisions is, is how she kind of um, prefaced it. Uh, it's clear there is there are big pressures on finances in Scotland. Kind of spending on health and social care is predicted to go up, and that's kind of been protected by the government, which is meaning that 
other budgets which aren't protected are going to be squeezed. Um, councils, um, which always seem to be the ones uh, ones to be hit hardest, they're they're facing real terms mm. cut of of seven percent um, by twenty six twenty seven. Uh, and you know you've got to remember the context of this. I mean, councils have been squeezed for the last you know over a decade. Um, almost every year they're um, complaining about uh, you know what's going to happen to services, what is happening to services, and it just keeps uh, going on, it seems. Um, COSLA, the council um, body, uh, warning that um, there undoubtedly be fewer jobs and cuts to services as a result of of this kind of um, spending squeeze and also suggesting that, that they won't, you know, council workers, there's thousands of council workers across Scotland, tens of thousands, um, and that they won't be able to get the same kind of um, pay rises uh, to cope with the cost of living crisis that other parts of the public sector well so you know big big trouble ahead it seems Kate, Kate Forbes has often been seen as a, a leader in waiting a sort of politician who tries to build bridges rather than cause a fight I, I might have made some rash predictions on that on that very point just last week um, our critics were pretty furious about all this of course but I saw one comment piece uh, likening likening to Margaret Thatcher is this a return to the, the Tartan Tories label, which used to be certainly uh, used against the SNP frequently by their opponents? I mean, that, that's an interesting one. It's, it's quite complicated, isn't it? I mean, one one of the major issues the Scottish government has is that uh, is a result of policies which you might be said um, are a bit more pro- progressive and, and left-wing um, than in the, the rest of the UK um, I mean, I wouldn't say generally SNP rule has been, you know, um, characterised by by hugely progressive uh, moves uh, uh, over the last 15 years. I mean, there's been a lot of rhetoric, but in terms of actual policies, there, there hasn't been a huge amount. But we have seen recently kind of more generous um, social security measures and and changes to income tax. Now, those are two of the things that are causing a bit of a problem. Um, there's a big gap between what the Scottish government gets in terms of its grant for social security and what it's expected to be spending. And they're not getting, basically their income tax measures are underperforming at the moment. So there's a predicted gap. I think the IFS put mm. it at about $3.5 billion by the end of this review period. The Fiscal Commission said that just on social security, it would be $1.3 billion. So, you know, yeah. They're, they're kind of between a bit of a rock and a hard place here, aren't they? Uh, they would obviously argue that they need more levers um, through independence, perhaps. Um, then there's also the counter argument that they've they've not really, you know, made the levers they've got work, uh, and that that's causing some of the the, the issues uh, they're facing at the moment. Yeah, these are big big figures. Um, there's a slightly smaller figure, but uh, in in the, the grand scheme of things, but. Big enough to cause a bit of a stoogie. She ring fenced about twenty million pounds for a, a second independence referendum, which, as as we keep saying, is supposed to be happening next year, according to the SNP's timetable. Um, that caused um, minor heart attack on the Conservative benches. Um, how long are we going to keep up this idea that we're going to have a vote next year without it? You know, it's going to come to a head at some point. But I'm going to leave that hanging. Um, this time because there was a bit more of a timely intervention on that today. Uh, Professor Sir John Curtis was mulling over the impact of the monarchy 
on support for independence. We covered this online today as a, a wee summation. Um, he was saying that those who want independence and want to get rid of the monarchy will vote yes anyway. Nicola Sturgeon, she needs to, to, to focus on those who are still not decided, maybe not entirely happy with the state of the UK, but want, want to, to retain the monarchy. Um, there's more on that on, on our on our site as well as all the coverage about the the spending promises and the review and the gap and and the the cash for independence as well. Anyway, that's precisely all the jubilee themed element to this week's podcast covered there. Um, now, like a like a green MSP fleeing a debate on royalty, we move swiftly on. The Scottish government has also been trying to get to grips with another thorny subject. That's the census. Um, so while we're looking ahead to to what money is available, we're also looking backwards to see where that money should be spent by figuring out exactly who everyone is and what they need. Um, there's been a delay and then a sort of another delay and the census returns themselves are still pretty low um, comparatively. Callum, what, uh, what's, the, what's the fallout looking like from this? Are we getting to the point where we're going to have a bit of dud information that the government's going to have to fess up to? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit, been a bit of a shambles, hasn't it? I mean, I'm not sure exactly what happens next, how they make sure that all this work doesn't, you know, go to waste. I think there's follow-up work that, you know, gets done in terms of door-to-door surveys. Um, but I think that's a pretty small kind of sample so I don't know do they do they keep extending it do they find some way to to get the numbers up a bit higher I mean I, the last thing I saw I think think they were saying that that um, you know it was at a level that they could work with but uh, you know I'm not, not an expert on that one it just seems like a bit of a, a disaster at the moment and it's going to be you know used by by the, the government's political opponents um, on a daily basis Um it kind of reminded me a bit, I mean, this, one of the key issues seemed to be a sort of lack of publicity or effective publicity anyway about the census that uh, seemed to leave so many Scots um, sort of unaware of, of the need to complete uh, the census forms. It sort of reminded me a wee bit of the, the whole issue of the fire alarms a couple of years ago. You remember that um, half of Scotland kind of found out a few weeks before um, this deadline was approaching that, that there homes are going to be illegal because because of some rule the in terms of hooking up smoke alarms of uh, smoke detectors um, yeah. and it hadn't really been communicated properly by the government I think they admitted that at, at the time so I mean it's another what's going on there why why aren't they able to to get this message across uh, that these kind of forms need to be completed well that, that you touched on something there that that lack of um detailed information or certainly the perception that people weren't aware um that's certainly been an experience in the the census from our end of things trying to to get the actual detail about where they are and what's happening i mean the the national records of scotland um which is overseeing all of this they put out a breakdown for every council area sort of where the where the where the returns level levels were um a week before the deadline and then when the deadline passed, I mean, good luck trying to get concrete numbers out of anyone on this one. It's just, we, you know, people saying, oh, we, we don't know, We're, that, that, that detail's to come. And then the deadline, which had already been extended, got suddenly changed to June the 12th. But it's, that's not a deadline extension, according to the, um, to the official response. That's just a sort of a mopping up period, but it sounds like an extension to me. And the other thing is, the, 
thousands of people who haven't returned their forms on paper they 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 faced up to a thousand pounds fine um so we were trying to work out well what happened last time when the results were a lot higher in 2011 there was uh, two prosecutions so what's next um either they keep on pushing away until they get loads of people responding or what we have a mass mass uh, courtroom log jam with you know all these people getting fined for census failures or or are we going to have to have some sort of amnesty what what do you what do you think's coming next callum uh, i don't think there's any chance of of large numbers of people being uh, uh, prosecuted over this it would cause chaos wouldn't it i mean i think what we need is i'm not going to say a public inquiry but some sort of there needs to be some sort of uh, uh review of what's going on gone wrong here um uh albeit you know by a hollywood committee or or, or whatever because um some there's been an issue and when you look at the figures kind of down south i mean i think england and wales the census went ahead last year i think that's right and 97 percent um where that was their kind of return rate, which uh, which seems pretty impressive. When we're um, what are we? We've still got about thirteen percent still to to return. I think was the latest figure. So something's not worked well, and and we're still some way from resolving it. And I think think there's going to need to be lessons learned. Certainly is. Um, and on the day that the deadline passed, Angus Robertson, who's the the government minister, who's nominally in charge of all of this even though it's the national records of scotland doing the the hard the hard miles uh, he wasn't even in the country so i think on that basis and because of all the nonsense swirling around it all um he's gonna have to accept our weekly gong on behalf of everyone involved i think so angus robertson you're the stoosh of the week and that's that for this week Thanks to Nicholas Sinclair for joining us, for Callum Ross for tuning over the, the Week in Politics, and producer Morvan McIntyre, and to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more, but until then and after then, pick up or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, and all our news brands so you can be better briefed. The Stushi is the politics podcast from DC Thompson, designed to help you understand the implications of what happens in Holyrood, Westminster and our communities so that you can be better briefed. Don't miss an episode by following The Stushi today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you know folks like you who want to understand politics in Scotland a little better, suggest they tune in or follow Stushi Scott on Twitter and Facebook. And stay even more up to date on local and Scottish news by subscribing to The Courier or Press and Journal, where you can get one month of unlimited access for just £1. Check the episode notes for details and terms.